You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. What is going on, party people? Welcome, welcome. It is so good, so good to be with you. Go ahead and find your seat and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Man, it is so, so good to be with you guys. Thank you for gathering with us this morning. We, um, we're in for a treat this morning. Every time, every Sunday, that we get to open up the Bible. We believe here that we lean in and we go, whoa, God's going to speak to us. Whoa, God is going to create and recreate his people in the image of Christ. And so anybody want to be different this morning? Anybody want to change? Anybody need a little bit of work right about here? Sometimes a little bit here, and then afterwards we'll fix it right about here? All right? That's what we're doing this morning. So Matthew chapter 18. I'm just curious, how many of you are prone to losing things? Mm-hmm. Yep. When I was in fourth grade, I was nicknamed Captain Leave-A-Lot. Captain Leela, because it's like one thing to lose your wallet, you know what I'm saying? It's one thing to lose your phone. It's another thing to be a fourth grader and to lose an instrument that is the same size as you. And so I would consistently lose my trumpet. And my mom was like, how do you lose a trumpet, right? I'm in fourth grade. The thing is as big as me, you know? Captain Leela, you lose things. And when you lose things, you need a strategy for recovering said lost thing, right? How many of you have ever lost a puppy? No? All right. Oh, one, right? You're like, trigger warning. This is too sad. You lose a dog. You need a strategy. And so what do you do? You print flyers, right? You put them all over the, the neighborhood. You put them on the mailboxes, and you go out, and you start calling Shiloh, right? Shiloh. And you, maybe even you got that special whistle that Shiloh knows that his owner's calling him, trying to recover your lost dog. How many of you guys have lost your phone? Be real. Come on. You lose your phone. The worst thing about losing your phone is that it's always in places that you're like, if it was not for find my iPhone, I would have never recovered that. Like once I found it like under my jeans on top of my closet. And I'm like, how, what was I even doing? I was just in the, in the zone and I lost it. So you retrace your steps. You go, where was I, right? You have a strategy. You go onto your spouse's or your friend's phone and you do the find my iPhone and beep, 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 beep. Like, yes, I found what was lost. How many of you guys have lost your wallet or your keys? Come on. Be honest, right? I have a jingle. I have a song for you, friends, right? I literally, I never leave my home, my car, or my office without going, phone, wallet, keys, phone, wallet, keys. Everywhere I go, I got my phone, wallet, key. I like literally, I do it. I do it. I know. I'm 32 going on 92. I need it. We lose things. And so you retrace your steps. You're checking your pants pockets. You go look in the car. You look in your bag, right? When you lose things, there is a strategy for recovering it. And so this morning, for the next few moments, I want to ask you this. What do you do when you've lost something infinitely more valuable than your wallet? What do you do when you've lost your way? What do you do when you or a friend, a a fellow follower of Jesus in your community, is wandering off of the path that Jesus teaches us, and you're wandering off of that path into a path called sin? What do you do? What strategy do we use when we are the ones in need of recovering and rescue? You see, friends, here at East Point Church, we're very open and honest about this. There are times when every single one of us in this room step off of the path and we are tempted to lose our way, okay? None of us are immune. Everybody raise your hand. Yep, that's you, all right? None of us are immune. And so James even tells us, he says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Friends, every single one of us, he says here, each person, each person, we have our own desire. There are unique areas of your life and my life where we are uniquely susceptible to being lured away from the path of Jesus, right? And so when we see somebody wandering, we don't judge them and go, how could they, right? 
No, that may be their area, just like you have mine. None of us are above this situation. Like, like, like lost sheep, we stray, we wander, we make decisions that are not in line with the ways of Jesus. And as we do this, we hurt people with our decisions. We strain relationships. We strain our intimacy with the Father. We fracture the unity that is keeping together this community. So what do we do? What do we do when we've lost our way? Hopefully, hopefully when we step off of the path, hopefully we are quick to repent and we go, what am I doing? What am I doing on this path? Jesus has saved me. I'm a child of God and he has saved me for so much more than the fleeting pleasures of sin. What am I doing? And we're quick to turn back to the path. We're quick to repent and we run back into the family of God and we experience his grace and his love and his mercy. And we're good. We're back. Hopefully that's what we do. We repent. We acknowledge it. But there are other times, there are times in our life where we step off and then we linger. There are times in our life where, we, where, where the temptation, it threatens to bring us dangerously far down this path. And Jesus is clear. He says, my way leads to life. This way leads to death. Sin will wreck you. Like we just sang a moment ago, your way is better, and that way will kill you. Very clear. It threatens to destroy us. And it's so deceptive that as we walk down this path, we don't even realize what's happening sometimes until it's too late. And so here's the question for us this morning. How does God rescue you when you're losing your way? How does your Father in heaven, who loves you so much, who came in the person of Jesus and brought you into the family in the first place and put his Holy Spirit inside of you and planted your feet on this path and said, now walk, how does that God deal with us? How does he rescue us when we wander and start to lose our way? The answer that we're going to see here for the next few moments in Matthew 18 is this. When we are sheep who are wandering, when we are lost in need of rescue, God rescues you through us. God rescues you, rescues me through us. And so let's read the whole passage here, and then we'll go back like we do and break it down verse by verse. And so I encourage you, Bible's open, lean in here. Man, God is speaking to us. He is shaping and creating a people and a community to look more and more like humanity was designed to be, and he does it by speaking to us. So here we go. Let's listen. Starting in verse 15, this is God's word. I call it the rescue mission. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is God's word for East Point Church. So we go back to the beginning in verse 15 here. It says, if your brother sins against you. So here's a hypothetical that Jesus is giving us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. We see that when people start to wander off the path, that God is giving us a responsibility. We are called to bring sin into the light. We are called, we are instructed to bring sin into the light. And so here's a scenario, right? We say, it says it here, your brother sins against you. So here's a fellow Christian, a fellow follower of Jesus, and they are doing something that is not in line with God's ways. 
And in this particular situation, they're actually hurting their other follower of Jesus, okay? So here, let's be very clear. This is not a difference of opinion. This person has not simply violated my personal preference or my personal political stances. No, no, they have violated Jesus' ways, not my preferences. Jesus says, I'm talking about a person who is clearly in the wrong. We're talking about a person who is at fault. Brother, this is not how we do things in God's family. You're wrong and you're hurting people. Now we pause there and we go, oh, in the church? With Christians? Welcome to the family of God. Okay, if you look on our website, we have like four guarantees, right? We'll love you, we'll welcome you warmly, you'll get a hot cup of coffee, and we will sin against you. <laughs> Daniel scratched that from the website. He's like, no, nah, I don't think this will fly. But it's true, right? Like, when you come into my life, when we start to do relationship together, you're entering into a construction zone. So grab your hard hat. Grab your lunch pail and your steel toe boots because I'm in the middle of my sanctification. You're in the middle of process. God has just set up a warning. This is a construction zone. So when we come and do life together, we hurt each other. We sin against each other. We do things we shouldn't do. We don't do things we should have done. We say things we wish we can take back and we do things we wish we could erase. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been hurt by a follower of Jesus? Sorry. <laughs> and so Jesus, he says, hey, you're in a construction zone, so let me prepare you for this inevitability, okay? When this happens, here's what I want you to do. When this happens, go and tell him. Bring the offense, bring the sin, bring the mistake that they've made. I want you to bring it to the light. I want you to bring it to her attention. One verse in, and I'm already uncomfortable. What, Jesus? This is uncomfortable. This is not how we roll. This is not how we do things in the real world. In an, individ in an individualistic society, right, if I see my brother doing something that he shouldn't be doing, that's his business. All right, you do you, boo-boo. I don't care. <laughs> and hell, tell you what, if what he's doing hurts me, then it's fine. You know what? You're dead to me. I'll just find new friends anyway. That's how we do things in the world. This is uncomfortable, but what Jesus is saying here is that your rescue is more important than my comfort. My rescue is more important than your comfort. Friends, remember what's on the line here. When we are wandering, when the, when the deceitfulness of sin, remember those words, lure and entice. Fish are lured. Fish don't go, I know that that worm has a hook, but okay. Okay. They're deceived by the lore, right? Fisherman, did I get that right? Waterfowl festival, did I get that right? All right, right? You're, we're lured, we're lured by the deceitfulness of sin. And at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 18, go back and read it. It's reminding us of what's on the line here. Sin will wreck you. Sin is playing for keeps. The deceitfulness of those fleeting pleasures, right? For a moment it tastes good, but it will ultimately result in death. You see, what we do is we treat sin like a pestering fly, right? It's kind of annoying, but we tolerate it, you know? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Sin is not a pestering fly. It is a fire that will burn down your home and consume everything you love and everything you own. And because this fire is so dangerous, you need to do the selfless thing. You need to do the loving thing. You need to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations and to go and tell him when you see him wandering down the road marked death. Anybody here blessed enough, fortunate enough to have people in their life who love them enough to tell them the truth? Right? I'll never forget, I was home for Christmas break once, and uh, my wife and I, we brought our family uh, to Christmas, and you know, my mom is Puerto Rican, enough said, right? I have Latino blood in my veins, enough said, you know, and so it's just always on 10, you know? It's like, what do you want for dinner? And my wife's like, why are you fighting? I'm like, we're communicating. 
okay? And that's like our baseline, you know what I'm saying? And so like when we're fighting, it's like, oh, snap, you know what I mean? And so I'll never forget, we're like, you know what I mean? My wife, or my mom, rather, you know? That's like a real fight, like no words. Just, you know, we just, I'm fighting, and I walk away, and I'm in a huff, and I go, babe, can you believe how unreasonable my mom is being? You know? I'm just waiting for her to go, honey, you're so right. I can't believe how evil your mother is. I can't believe why she's not as wise and pure of heart as you. I'm waiting for that, right? You know what she says? In her little, quiet, petite voice, she goes, Whenever my wife's got to say something, it's, <clears throat> I'm like, you need water? She goes, babe, I think this is a blind spot for you, and I don't think you realize just how much you're contributing to this thing, and you're being very arrogant, and you're wrong. <laughs> okay, all right. Even if it's annoying to hear, even if it's hard to hear the truth, how many of you are grateful for people who love you enough to tell you the truth, right? How many of you are grateful for the people who will tell you that you have broccoli in your teeth, spiritually speaking? <laughs> spiritually speaking, all right? When we see somebody step off the path, when we see somebody step into the wrong, Jesus says, tell them, tell them. He doesn't just tell us what to do. Notice how he adds an additional line here, which means it's important. He gives us an extra step of the how. He says, I want you to go and tell them, but how? Between you and him alone. This is a private conversation. This is a reminder to check our motives. My goal in this conversation is to rescue them from the path, not to hurt their reputation. My motive is to see them saved from peril, not to see them pay for what they did to me. And so I don't need to talk to 14 people to get advice. I don't need to talk to a million people and ask them for prayer because of what my brother did, right? We confess our own sins, not other people's sins. He says, go and talk to them alone. Go and talk to them alone. What's the outcome that we're hoping for? What are we praying for as we enter into this conversation? We're praying that they would listen to you. We're praying that as they are lured and enticed by sin, that they would go, they'd snap out of it and they go, whoa, you're right. Thank you for confronting me. Thank you for the slope, the sobering splash of truth in the face to stir me from my wandering. And they see their sin for what it is and they walk back to the path with you arm in arm. And together we live in grace and unity and mercy and forgiveness. That's the goal here. He says your goal is that you have gained your brother, which means that what threatens to be lost, relationship, purity, faithfulness, unity, affection, that these things have now been regained. And we're back. This is the goal. We have our brother back, moving on. We're forgetting about it as far as the east is from the west. Let's keep walking. Boom, we call it a day. This is the goal. It's their rescue. It's our return to Jesus. And God is the one who's rescuing us as we wander like sheep. And how did he rescue us in this scenario? God rescues you through an us. He rescues you through community. Let's pause there, okay? Because I, like I said, this is uncomfortable. 90 to 95% of the sin in your life is dealt with like this. 90 to 95% of the sin in your life is dealt with when somebody taps you on the shoulder and goes, hey brother, I love you, not that way. And you go, oh, thank you. And you go back. It's not a big deal. If your life is a construction zone, if your soul is in process, God has given the people around you a hammer. If your soul is a construction zone, God has put relationships with your brothers and sisters in the faith in your life as tools, as instruments of your sanctification. When you see your brother or sister's sin, you don't go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I saw that. You go, that's normal. God has given me this unique vantage point because I'm supposed to be involved in this process. We're good. One-on-one. -on -one. We're done. Moving on. Okay. Now, 
What if they don't listen to you? What if this uncomfortable conversation goes poorly and they don't turn around and instead they go, no, and they get a little bit harder, a little bit more obstinate? Well, Jesus prepares us for that too. Look what he says. He says, there's the next step. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He didn't listen to you. She didn't turn back with you, but guess what? This rescue mission does not give up easily. How many of you guys go out there and go, Shiloh? Yeah, he's a goner. Let's get a puppy. Right? You're like, Shiloh! And you're like, babe, it's been seven days, okay? Shiloh 2.0 is coming. I just ordered him on Amazon, right? Like, you don't give up easily because you go, this is valuable. We don't give up easily. And so, okay, maybe they don't listen, Maybe when you approached it, they said, well, you know what? This is just a you problem, not a sin problem. This is your opinion. This is your preference. And guess what? They may be right. It could just be your preference. You have to be ready to, to, to have that conversation. Go, let me think about that. But there's only one way to find out. Let's go and let's ask another person to come with us. Let's bring in one more person. Maybe bring in a second person, a third person. So that way, when we bring this up, if we have two or three people that go, no, 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 this is not a you thing, this is an issue, guess what? Our unified testimony is now making it clear. This is not just my thinking, brother. This is not just my opinion, sister. What you're doing is objectively wrong. You are clearly deviating from the path of following Jesus. You said you're a follower of Jesus. You said you want to live your life this way. You asked me as a fellow believer to hold you to this path, to hold you accountable. And so we're holding each other to this way. What you're doing is not the way. What you're doing is not how we roll in God's family. And this fact is being evidenced by two or three witnesses. This is not just a difference of opinion. There's two of us. And where a one-on-one failed, right? Where a one-on-one was not effective, Hopefully, the presence of two people, hopefully, the presence of three people makes a convincing statement. And they go, dude, all right, I must be the one off here. You guys are in agreement with this? Are you sure? All right, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn. I'm going to repent. And then, boom, we have our brother back. Moving on. We're done. That's the goal. There's no scarlet letter. There's no shame. There's no, like, well, I can't believe you did that, as if what they did was any different than what we would do. We're back. This is the goal. And so let me give you a couple of practical things here about grabbing one or two others. Number one, you don't necessarily need to jump to this step after a single one-on-one, okay? Well, I had one conversation, they didn't listen, now I'm bringing in more. No, hey, have as many one-on-ones as you need, right? Sometimes you need to have a conversation and you go, let's follow up in 24 hours. Hey, let's keep thinking about this. Ah, you know what, maybe, but can we keep wrestling? That's great. Keep it in the one-on-one camp as long as you can until you're convinced this is not working. Okay? We don't give up easily. Keep engaging one-on-one. Then, if you need to bring it to two people, three people, be wise in who you choose. Jesus doesn't give us the details. Well, here's what I want you to bring. Find her cousin, her cousin's second aunt, right? And just, hey, be wise. Be prayerful. Who are you bringing Bringing someone that they don't respect, bringing someone into the situation that they don't trust is not going to get you anywhere, right? So you bring a mutual friend. You bring a trusted leader. You bring a family member. You bring someone who's maybe even gone down this path before so they can respond to them with empathy and understanding. We have to do this. We have to do this with prayer and with much wisdom, with our eyes on the goal. It's complicated, but we do it. Because we know that God rescues you through us. I'll talk more about this in a moment, but are you starting to see the importance of an us? If you start wandering down this path and you don't have people in your life, if you don't have a community of believers who can tap you on the shoulder, you're in trouble. That is a scary place to be. You need to be a consistent member of a community, a place where relationships are built, where you are known, where people know you long enough to speak the truth to you. Friend, I say this respectfully. If you're a church hitchhiker, this is never going to happen. 
If you're the new guy every 15 to 18 months, you're never going to have people in your life who know you long enough and, and love you well enough to speak the truth clearly to you. You need an us. You have an us? Do you have an us? All right, so first step, we're going to go with how many people? One-on-one, okay, they don't listen. They go, I don't think you're right. So then we grab how many? Two, maybe three people. We go and talk. Hopefully at that point, we're good. Hey, thank you. Bringing it back, we're fine. What if they still don't listen? What if the us of two to three people doesn't work? Okay, right? We said, hey, if you're not going to listen to me, listen to us. What if that still doesn't work? Look at the next verse. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So notice, we started, hey, one-on-one, we're going to talk about this. Ah, we're not getting anywhere. All right, two people. All right, three people. And then notice here, Jesus calls for an increase in exposure. He says, I now want you to include the church. I want you to include the body of believers that, they, that this individual has identified with, okay? Let me be very clear. We're not increasing the exposure to shame them. We're not increasing the exposure to embarrass them. This is the key. We are including the community of believers because we're inviting them to be a part of the rescue. We're inviting the community of believers to now start to do what two or only three people were doing. Pray, pursue, plead, talk to him, talk to her. We're bringing them up to speed in the hope that the brother will now listen to the unified witness of the community. When I said, hey, brother, please turn, and he didn't listen. Hopefully, when the group of believers says, brother, please turn, hopefully that unified witness is enough to shake them back to their senses. Not to embarrass them or shame them, to rescue them. Because our goal is what, friends? What's our goal? We want our brother back, right? We want our brother to be restored, to be walking in the light. And so now that this is common knowledge, now that his fellow believers around him have been brought up to speed, we all, the church, shares in this responsibility. As the church interacts with him, they are now responsible. They're a part of the rescue mission. They can no longer pretend and ignore the elephant in the room because you're a part of the rescue mission. Pause. Now let's get practical here, right? Because I have seen this done well, and I have seen this done miserably, okay? And this is a very, very easy idea to even abuse, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, okay? So let me be very clear. We would never do this on a Sunday morning in front of a congregation. Daniel, come up here, brother, right? Like, we're going to do some discipline. No! Horrible! Wrong! Okay? Bad. Not good. Dirty. Okay? Like, my thesaurus ran out, okay? We would not do that. Why? Because we are not naive to assume that every person sitting in a church on a Sunday morning is a part of, is, is a fellow believer. Every Sunday morning, we have people in here who we love and we welcome, and we say, hey, you're seeking faith. Love it. You're exploring who Jesus is. Love it. You want to learn. You, I have people all the time, hey, I'm not actually like a follower, but am I allowed to come? Will I be? I'm like, yes. Where else would you learn? That's like saying, I don't know how to read. Am I allowed in school? So every Sunday, we have people in our community, in our midst, that are not a part of the family of God. So I'm never, we're never going to go to this step in front of a larger congregation. Not everybody in this room has professed faith. Not everybody in this room has been given permission by my brother to hold him accountable in that way. And so when we presume to hold somebody accountable who has never gave us an invitation to do so, that is an overreach. That is invasive. That is cult-like, okay? So who has our brother given permission to? Who are the professed believers? Well, here at East Point, We do this through what we call ministry partnership, okay? We have a collective. We have a ministry collective, right? Maybe in a church you've come from, you've heard of membership or rosters or roles. We don't call it that. 
ministry partnership. And so people enter into ministry partnership and they're saying this, I profess to be a believer. It's the first thing. I'm a Christian. Number two, I want to be a follower of Jesus in the context of this community. And so I'm giving permission. I want our elders and my fellow Christians to hold me to this path. Right? Ministry partners are saying, hey, if I'm ever under the influence of the enticement of sin, if I am ever falling to the deceitfulness of sin, if it starts to take me under, will you, elders, will you, fellow Christians, will you please give me the sobering splash of truth in my face to stir me back to the path? This is the importance of belonging to and identifying yourself as a group of believers, Okay? There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people who come through the doors, both gatherings every week. If they've never given us reason to believe that they're believers and that they're inviting this kind of accountability, why would we do that? We won't. We won't. And so if a believer, if a ministry partner is persisting in their sin and they don't listen to the one-on-one, they don't listen to the one-on-two, they don't listen to the one-on-three, and we're not going to bring it to a congregate. We're going to now rope in their fellow ministry partners into the loop. And we're asking them, can you now do what only two to three people were doing? Pray. Plead with. Talk to them. Appeal to them. And so here's the thing. If they didn't listen to one, if they didn't listen to two or three, hopefully the unified witness of the community of believers Hopefully a mass appeal from the dozens of Christians around them will sober them up from the effects of their sin. Why? So that we can realize our goal. I just want our brother back. I just want what was lost to be found. I want to regain that. And I'll tell you what will happen. And I put put it in the record now. Here's what we do. If we ever had to do that, do you know what we would do when that brother says, man, clearly I'm missing something. You know what we would do when they turn? We will throw a literal party. We will throw a feast. We will deck out the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la, la 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 la. We will welcome them and sit with them, okay? And you know what we will do? We will greet them with warm hugs, a short memory, and a humility that says, brother, nothing you're doing is beyond what I would do myself. We greet them with a humility that says, it could have happened to any of us. But I'm embarrassed. I can't believe I went through that. Dude, sin is called deceitful for a reason. It's enticing. It's alluring. And we welcome them back and we say, Lord, forgive our brother and sister. We're good. You're good. And we throw their sins as far as the east is from the west. And we move on. And we go, man, that's just Wednesday. Cool. (laughs) Because our lives are a construction zone. And God saves you through us. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to rescue you from the path that every single human being is wandering and he has saved you even when you weren't looking for him. He grabbed you and brought you and he put you in his family. Praise the Lord. And he will move hell and high water through this community to keep you there. We will persevere, saints, through the community of the saints. Amen? All right. So we're good. All right, we're back. Partied. Moving on. But what if, what if that's still not enough? What if our brother is still persistently, stubbornly pursuing his sin, that even the community of fellow believers was not enough to get through to him? Well, Jesus says, well, in that case, here's your last step. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, those who don't repent are treated as non-Christians, okay? Fish swim, okay? Cats meow, you know that? Dogs bark, cows moo, Christians repent. That's what we do. That's like like we have lifestyles of repentance. Every single one of us, we have to understand, repentance is not just what we did the first time. Whoa! I want to wake up from this life. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I'm going to turn and repent and follow Jesus. Yes, that's how you become a Christian. But every single day, that's the same dance. Every single day, as soon as my feet hit the floor, I'm tempted to, ooh, I want to step over here. And I go, wait a minute, back to Jesus. Wait a minute, back to Christians repent. 
This is what we do. Genuine followers of Jesus are listening to the Holy Spirit indwelling them and turning back. Christians repent. And so if someone is refusing to repent, if someone is refusing to humble themselves and turn back, what else are we left to conclude except this? I have no reason to believe that you're actually in this with us. I, I have no reason to believe that you are a follower of Jesus. Christians repent, and you're not. So we're just going to go ahead, we'll call it for what it is. We're just going to assume that you're just on, on, the, uh, on the outside of the family of God, okay? We're just going to treat you as, as the same way that we treat those who have yet to respond to Jesus. Listen here, the church does not have the authority to remove somebody's salvation. We are not removing someone's salvation. We are simply concluding there doesn't seem to be any. Okay? So maybe you've been in churches where it's like, I'm taking away your salvation. Like, give it back! And like, the church doesn't do that. We don't have the power to say, you know what? I like what I'm seeing. Salvation. Here you go. Let's give that back. No, no, no. That's, that gets icky, yicky, yucky, stucky. Okay? That's not what we're doing here. That's not in my notes. What we're saying here is the church... The church is saying, hey, Christians repent, you're not, okay, no problem, we're calling it for what it is. And so we're just going to treat you, we're going to assume that you have yet to come into the family of God. How do we treat people who have yet to come into the family of God? With shame and guilt and mean faces, and if we're sitting at Olive Garden, when they walk in, we go, ooh, you. No, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? We still love them. They're still welcome here. We treat them just as if we treat anybody else who is seeking or exploring faith. No problem. But when Jesus was eating with them, whenever it came to the concept of the kingdom of God, he communicated in such a way that made it clear, I love you, but there's still a step for you to take to experience what I'm talking about. I don't judge you. I love you. This is awesome. But I'm going to talk to you and evangelize you as if you have yet to come into the family. And why do I think that? because you haven't turned yet. And so we're just calling it for what it is. So that means that here at East Point, right? We, and I've seen this done, right? We would never go, security, I saw them at the front door. Excommunicate them. <laughs> what? Like, dude, what, anybody's welcome here, right? You don't have to be a follower of Jesus, right? And so when those people, right, if we say, hey, we love you, we still have some work to do, like maybe you don't understand what faith is just yet. We love them. We welcome them, we do those things, but we communicate in a way that makes it clear, hey, you've yet to turn to Jesus. And so when it's, when it's time for this community to do the things that are reserved for the family, right? We have a couple of family moments. Communion, that's a family moment, right? Ministry partnership, that's, a, that's, a, that's for Christians. So when it comes to those things, we would just tell our brother, hey, when it's time for that moment, that's not for you, but let's talk about it so we can understand what that is there. Does that make sense? We're not barring the doors. We're not putting them on the blacklist. We're not blocking their calls when they come through, okay? We as a community are taking this step. Why? What's our goal? I just want my brother back. I just want my brother back. And we're hoping that our shift, even in this posture, we're hoping that by our clear declaration that this community statement that says, hey, brother, we have no reason to believe that you're a follower of Jesus, and so we're just going to call it for what it is, you're there, we love you, let's keep growing together, okay? When that statement is made, we're hoping that even then, even in this step, that that would be enough for him to come to his senses. Or, not, so come to his senses and repent, or perhaps even come to faith for the first time. Maybe this is a person who grew up in church and they just assumed, well, my granddaddy was a, was a preacher and my mom was a minister, and so I'm, of course I'm in. And we're hoping that even this declaration, as they persist in their sin, perhaps even this will wake them up and God will use that to go, oh, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Oh, I have yet to repent of my sin. And so let me give you a real-life example, okay? There was a man. He was in Corinth, Greece. The time was about 2,000 years ago and he was sleeping with his stepmom. Not the path, okay? And when a brother comes and confronts him, when two or three come together and say, hey, what are you doing here? Instead of responding with humility, instead of responding and going, 
dude, how did I get here? Thank you so much for rescuing me. He responded with arrogance, and he goes, no. Not only was he, was he arrogant, he was boasting. He was, you're just jealous. What is happening? So they go through this step, right? They go, we need to rescue our brother. One-on-one doesn't work. One-on-two, one-on-three. We as the believers are saying, brother, come back. And he says, no, it's you who are wrong, and I'm in the right. And they communicated to him. They said, okay, you give us no reason to believe that you're a believer. So, hey, tell you what, that's where we are. Let's call it for what it is. And as he feels that shift in the community, as he wrestles with the reality of, Am I in the wrong? Is it possible that maybe I am wrong? As he senses that, he comes to his senses, and they get their brother back. And Paul says to them in 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love. Oh, there it is. There's the goal. There's the goal that he will come to his senses so we can reaffirm our love for him because this is the goal. We have our brother back. Okay. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> right? Jesus takes this seriously. He loves us so much that he has given us this practical outworking for how to save each other from the deceitfulness of sin. And I get it, friends. I know what this sounds like, right? In 2022, we're like, excuse me, isn't this a bit of invasive? Isn't this a little bit of an overreach? You want my community group friend who loves me? I'm cool talking about, like, discussions, but you want her to tell me what she sees in my life? Oh, man. And you know what, friends? You're right. This is invasive if we fail to understand just how much Jesus has chosen to operate through what we call the church. This will seem like an overreach if we fail to understand the authority that Jesus has imbued into this community of believers. And that's how he ends it. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. See, we like this verse when we're planting churches, right? How was attendance? We had two or three, but you know what? <laughs> he was there, you know, and that's true, right? Jesus is with us. He's always, even if it's one, okay? You're like, man, we were one short of Jesus being present. No, 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 right? <laughs> what? This verse is not about his omnipresence. This verse is saying two or three. Does that sound familiar? Where did we just hear that? the witnesses. He's talking about this particular process. And he goes, hey, when you're doing that process in a healthy biblical way, when you are approaching each other, speaking the truth in love, you can have the confidence that the decisions and the conclusions that you are reaching are in line with what God himself is thinking in heaven. You can have the confidence that this biblical process You're coming to conclusions that God has already revealed in Scripture. And so as we follow Jesus' instructions, we have confidence that he's with us in this. It's him acting. It is him operating. He says, there I am among you. There am I, right in that process, right in the brother-on-brother love and truth. There am I in the midst of that. In other words, friends, Jesus' authority is present in his church. Jesus' authority his working power. He is advancing the construction zone of your life through the church, through the church. Again, the church doesn't have the authority to make someone a Christian or not. But we as the church, we do have a, what I call a declaratory authority, the authority to declare and assure according to the truth of Scripture, hey, brother, let me assure you, you are in the family of God. The Bible says that if you repent of your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And so we declare you are forgiven, and we can say it confidently that Jesus is right behind us saying amen. Or if we say the opposite, you're not repenting. You're still pursuing this path. We have the confidence that Jesus is right there. And so here's what this means. If a wandering person is confronted by a whole church, a whole community of believers, they no longer have the option to say, you know what? You, all of you are wrong because me and Jesus are right. And Jesus is standing over here going, uh, I'm with them. 
I'm actually working through this process. And so, you see, Jesus is right there in our midst. And on the flip side, when the church sees this person repent and just apologize and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, we can agree together joyfully. Sister, you're forgiven. Moving on. Next, right? You are forgiven. We ask, Lord, would you please forgive her? And as we ask God to do that, we have the confidence it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You're in line with what Jesus is doing. And so clearly, friends, here's what I'm saying. Clearly, this is more than just a human process, right? This is more than church politics. This is more than just weird people dynamics. There is something divine happening in the construction zone when we come together. Heaven is involved in this. Jesus is leading and advancing his kingdom through the authority of the people he's put around you. Keeping us from sin is so serious. Sin will wreck you. Sin will wreck me. And none of us are above the allure. None of us are above the enticement. And so Jesus says, do this process, and I'm with you, and I'm there doing it, and I will rescue you, but I will be rescuing you through an us. God rescues you through an us. So here's how I want to end. I want to give you a few thoughts to think about. Number one, all right, first of all, does anybody else want to be a part of a church filled with people who take their sins seriously? Does anybody else want to be part of a church where people love them enough and know them well enough to have these hard conversations? A church that doesn't confront is a church that doesn't love. A church that doesn't confront each other is a church that doesn't love each other. And so number one, do you have an us? Do you have an us? Are you cultivating authentic relationships? We, we all, you guys, come on, you're the, the mask, right? How many have this mask? All right, every morning you wake up, you're like, I got my shoes, I got my shirt, I got my, right? Are you letting people behind the mask? Are you cultivating and investing in relationships where people have the backstage pass to your life and they know the junk? But what if, what if people don't love me because if they know me, that's not how we roll in the family of God. God already knows, and he loved us anyway. Our standing in his family is not based on our junk, and so we can be open about our junk. Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm a sinner. Hi, Sam. But I'm forgiven, and I'm redeemed, and God is working on my soul through you. Amen. Do you have an us? Okay. Number two, why don't we hear sermons like this? How come this is the first time I've ever heard this? Why does this not happen in a lot of churches? I'm going to be very honest with you. Because as soon as someone confronts you on your wayward path, you can just go to the church down the street. Welcome to America. As soon as someone tries to have a hard conversation with you, you can easily just go, oh, I'm out of here, and you move, and you just go to another church. But let's be real, friends, okay? What will you do when your sin and your waywardness manifests itself over there? You're just going to keep running? Are you going to let the construction zone of your soul be stagnant for all these years? Or are you just going to go, you know what? Who am I kidding? I know I'm not perfect. Let's talk about this. Let's deal. Don't run. You could. I mean, you can. It's not a cult, right? You didn't sign in blood. You can. But Jesus, in these instructions, he's assuming the value of longevity. He's assuming the value of love. He's assuming that we have put down roots in such a way that we have said, you're my family. And families do hard things. The third question for you is this. Do you want East Point Church to be that community for you? If so, stand up right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> do you want East Point Church to be the community of believers that say, hey, if I'm wrong, hey, if I'm getting lured away by sin, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so will you, East Point, community of believers, will you hold me to that? If you want that, come to ministry partner orientation. Come, and this is where we talk about what does it mean to be a believer? What does it look like to hold one another to this life? And what does it look like to pursue the world on mission? And so if you want to be a part of that ministry collective, if you want to have a group of, uh, uh, of believers like that where we experience what I just described, let us know. Shoot us a text. 
come by the, stop by the counter in the lobby and let us know, hey, I want more information on that, okay? And as a matter of fact, we're going to respond in a fun way. We have about a dozen new ministry partners who are being welcomed into the exact thing I just said, okay? And so these are people who have said, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to live out my faith in this community. And they've said to their elders, they've said to their, they're saying right now to their fellow believers, I'm here, let's do this. And so I'm going to read their names. I'm going to invite them. We had uh, several in the first, and we have a few here in the second. We have Billy Hughes, Katie Hughes, Carter White, Katie White, Zach Shaw, Michaela Mulliken, Montana Walton, Michelle Voss, Liz Cray, Leanne Kalina, Rudy Strickland, and Nancy Strickland. Come on down, friends. Who's here? Come on down. If I just called your name, come on down. Come on, sister. Yeah. Welcome, guys. Stand right here in front of me. And I want them to see your beautiful faces, okay? And so here's why we do this publicly, because we believe what we just talked about. And if we truly believe that, then it's not enough to just put somebody's name on a spreadsheet somewhere and go, you're in, right? No, like, this is a public thing. And so I want all of you ministry partners to say, hey, we got more. This is part of our us, all right? And so I'm going to invite you. If you're a ministry partner here, I'm going to invite you to stand right now so that we can see who each other. So all ministry partners of East Point Church, stand to your feet. All right, ministry partners, look at me got some newbies, all right? Our family has just grown. They have professed faith, and they have said, hey, we want to live it out here. And so I want you to see their faces. Look, those are them. Those are the people. Those are us, okay? So now we all know each other, all right? We're getting to know each other. You're going to see each other in community group, and this is beautiful. And so ministry partners, you have a responsibility. We're going to link arms with each other, okay? And so I'm going to invite you ministry partners, extend a hand forward, and we're just going to pray for our new MPs. Lord, Thank you, Lord, first of all, for saving them. Thank you, Father, that these individuals who were born wayward sheep have been rescued by the great shepherd. They have been brought into the fold of God, and now they are pursuing you with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, Lord, thank you. And, Lord, would you continue to advance the construction soul, the construction zone of their soul. I pray that every day and every week and every month and every year of the rest of their life, that it would continue to develop more and more into the image of Jesus and that the relationships around them would be a part of that. So Lord, give them good relationships. Bind them heart and heart together with their fellow believers so that they can look more and more like you. We love you, Father, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for what you are doing in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more time, welcome, guys. Hey, that concludes our gathering. You are dismissed. Take some moments as you leave to say hello, greet those around you, and we'll see you next week. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.